All right, we've been on a series called Who Am I and Why Am I Here? We've been going through this for several weeks and talking about different aspects of those two things. Who am I deals with my identity and why am I here deals with my purpose. So we're going to finish that up today. This will be last week closing out this series. So if you would get your Bibles out, your sermon notes out, and uh, let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, who am I and why am I here? We've been dealing with this from all kinds of different angles and we've been asking the same question today. Again, we're going to be talking about why am I here, what's my purpose? And I've had several people talk to me along the way and during this process and they say, Chad, I I really don't know what my purpose is. And it doesn't matter their age demographics, people from an older demographic or younger demographic dealing with this, I don't really know what my purpose is. And, And I want you to know that it's okay to to a certain degree to not know exactly what your purpose is, but I want you to keep leaning into and asking the Lord what he has for you to do because you absolutely have a purpose. But remember, our big picture purpose is not a job we do, it's a person we become. So sometimes we get things about, I don't know what my purpose is, and we're automatically leaning towards something to do. And I'm telling you, as long as we think that, we will get frustrated in not seeing the results we want to see out of what we're doing instead of seeing our purpose and who we are becoming. And you can plug me into whatever position and I will fulfill my purpose because it's about who I'm becoming, not what I'm doing. It's really important for us to grasp that part in this series. But, so you can go into either ditch and be wrong. You can say, I don't know what my purpose is, so who cares? It's no big deal and keep going what you're doing. That would be the wrong approach. Or the other side was to get, is to get so stressed out and so full of anxiety because I've got to figure out everything that I'm doing every day has to be about a purpose. And then you lose sight of the little things in life that matter as well. But here's one thing that I think is important. When we're figuring out our purpose, when we're figuring out or writing out the formula for our purpose, one of the things that has to be factored in there is eternity. My purpose has to have in its equation, in the formula, has to be factored in eternity when I'm thinking about my purpose. Because if I don't have eternity factored into my purpose, then I'll minimize my purpose down to material things to possessions, to positions, to relationships, to whatever it may be, I'll dwindle my purpose down to things that won't even make it into heaven. When I'm figuring out my purpose, I have to make sure I'm plugging in one of the variables and figuring out what I'm supposed to do in my life. I have to put in what will survive the transition from time to eternity. If I don't factor that in, I will pour my time, my energy, my resources into working at something, doing something, to accomplish something, to all of a sudden when I die realize that all that didn't make the cut. Wouldn't that be awful? If everything I worked for my whole life, at the end I realize that it's not even going to amount to a hill of beans in eternity. If my whole purpose was to gain success and have accomplishments or have financial security, guess what? There's no money in heaven. That doesn't mean money's bad. We need money on the earth. And it doesn't mean accomplishments aren't bad. Accomplishments are very good. So I want you to keep pursuing great accomplishments in the earth. But just remember, accomplishments in the earth are to gain a platform 
of influence for our real purpose, which is impacting people for the kingdom of God. We're supposed to be successful in the world. Christians should be the most successful people. Now, some of you, when you hear successful, all of a sudden you see dollar signs. Stop seeing dollar signs with success. We're supposed to be successful, but the Bible tells us that we're so supposed to prosper in everything we put our hand to do. So this is what I'm talking about, that I want us to pursue success in every area, in your business, in your line of work, whatever you're doing, you should be successful so that it gives you a platform so that you can have influence to truly impact people's lives, and that's your purpose. And this is what we're talking about. Why am I here? My purpose, it's, it's bigger than just a job or it's bigger than just something we do. But I want us to find this out. And I want you to know this as we've wrapped this up today. God has given you already everything you need to accomplish the purpose he's put in your life. I'm going to show you through the Bible, and I want you to open up your ears today and open up your eyes because we're just going to go through the Bible. I'm going to teach you some things that I think are vitally important. God has already given everything you need. And I get it. You know, how many times have we prayed things like, God, I just asked you to give me more, more of this, more of that, right? And I'm not hating on any song that's sung or any phrases that you're using in your life. But I just realize in my life, and I have to remind myself all the time, because I keep praising God, if I can just have more of this. He's like, Chad, I've already given you everything you're going to need. All you need to do is apply everything that I've given you. Just because I haven't applied everything that God's given me doesn't mean he hasn't already provided it. Mm, Come on, somebody. He's already provided. So let's look at what the Bible says about this. Have you found Ephesians chapter 4? I gave you plenty of time. That lengthy intro. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4. Start reading in verse 7. Get your sermon notes out and and follow along. I want you to understand what the Bible says. I want our our, uh, beliefs to be built on what the Bible says and not on what we feel or what we think. (laughs) Puberty, excuse me. (laughs) On what we think. Right? These teen years are tough, you know. I had a few other thoughts. I'm going to let those run around the track. Anyway, Ephesians 4, verse 7. It says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. To each one. Everybody say each one. Now, we have seen this phrase in Romans. We've seen it in 1 Peter. We see it in Ephesians. Are we going to get it that each one of us has received from God? Nobody has been overlooked, nobody's been forgotten, nobody's not important, nobody is in a category different from anybody else, each one. So look at your neighbor and say, that includes you, that includes you, that includes you. Look at your neighbor that you didn't think you was wanting to talk to this morning and say, that includes you too. That includes you. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? I, I just realize, and I don't just realize, I, I have come to know that some people don't love how I ask them to engage with their neighbor. Some people, some people are not thrilled about that. So I keep pressing it anyway. Just to, I'm just helping you break through areas of your life. Glory to God. So each one, each one of us, to each one of us, grace was given. Grace was given. Now the word grace, it's a Greek word charis, and it means To divinely enable, divine meaning from God. So God enabled free and generous gift. So to each one of us, grace was given. 
from God, a divine enablement, a free and generous gift. Now, when I say grace, there's a couple different ways of looking at grace. There is the universal saving grace. Here's what I found in my life growing up in church. I didn't know really how to define grace. All that, people used grace as a nice churchy word. People used it all the time, but I didn't know what it meant. Well, it's just the grace of God. Grace of God. So grace is not a free pass. Some people think grace definition is free pass. It means free pass with no consequences. That's grace. No, that's not what grace means. It's a divine enablement. It's a free and generous gift, absolutely. So it's from God. It originates from God. But just because it originates from God doesn't define everything that did come from God. And that's what I want us to know. There is saving grace. Before I grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So grace comes from God. But it's also, grace is also an individual gifting. So it's general saving grace and it's grace. Because it says here, to each one of us, grace was given. Divine enablement. So divinely enable means to provide with means or opportunity, make possible to give legal power and capacity. So here's what we understand. If each one of us grace was given, each one of us were divinely enabled. Each one of us, give up the definition of enable. You bring it up there on the screen. So each one of us has been given the power, uh, the means, the opportunity to make possible, uh, give legal power or capacity. Here's what it means in a nutshell. Everything you need to do what God's asked you to do, you've been graced to do it. God's provided the means or the opportunity. He's made it possible, and he's also given you legal power and capacity. To how many people did he do that for? Every one of us. Each one of us, grace was given. So you've been enabled. Now notice what it says, to each one of us, grace was given. This was given, present tense, future tense, or past tense. Some of you aren't sure. That's okay. Didn't didn't like English class. That's all right. It's not a test. You're not going to get graded. Was given is past tense, right? So to each one of us, grace, this enablement from God, this power, this ability, this divine source and divine resource was given to you. If it was given to you, do you need to ask for it? If it was given, that means I have it. I don't need to, and again, I'm with you on this, so we're, we're helping each other. I don't need to ask God to give me the strength to make it through what I'm facing because he's given me the grace for it already. Now, I understand we ask, and I, I'm not saying, well, I shouldn't ask for God. I'm just saying we need to understand what has been given, what's already available to us, instead of thinking it's up there and out of our reach. It's available. This is why, and I don't want to get into preaching on this, but it just, I just can't pass it up in this moment. This is why I believe this is what God was saying when he told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. He was not saying, suck it up, you're just going to have to suffer. That's not what he was saying. He said, I have divinely enabled you for everything you're going to need to walk through, Paul. I've already given you everything you need. Apply what I've given you and you'll see breakthrough in this area of your life. It doesn't mean we don't go through difficulty. It doesn't mean we go through problems. It just means we have a grace to get through it. All right, so each one of us has been given this grace. Now, how how is it given to us? According to the measure of Christ's gift. That word measure just means capacity or quantity. So how has God gifted you? How has God graced you? It's according to the measure or quantity or capacity of Christ's gift. Well, what was Christ's gift? The word Christ's gift there means a gift that's a sacrificial gift. 
means it cost him something. It was dear to him. So let's measure what was the quantity or capacity of Christ's gift. Was, was Christ's gift to us, was it enough? The Bible says that Jesus died once for all. For eternal redemption. Do you know what eternal means? It means forever. In other words, the blood of Jesus doesn't wear out after a while. He died 2,000 years ago, and his redemption for you and my sin is still good from now throughout all of eternity. So what it means is if it's a measured according to Christ's gift, Christ's gift was all in. He held nothing back in how Jesus gave us his gift. Well, if the grace that he gave us is measured according to the same thing, then the grace that he gave me, he held nothing back when he gave me everything that I needed. Come on, somebody. He did not hold anything back when he graced me to walk through what he's asked me to walk through. He didn't give me just a smidgen. He didn't give me barely enough. He gave me more than enough. More than enough. Because the blood of Jesus was more than enough to cover my sins. So if the measure of Christ's gift is according to Christ's gift, uh, grace gift was according to Christ's gift, then we realize we've got plenty. We've got more than enough. Look at your neighbor and say, there's more than enough. See, I'm just helping you break through. He held back nothing. Now let's go to verse 8. Verse 8, therefore he says, when he ascended on high and led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this sounds like a weird verse in the place of this, and and it's a a verse out of Psalm 68. And we have to go into Bible times. In Bible times, when a king would conquer another king, they like to uh, make a show of their victory. So a lot of times the king would drive through with his chariot and he would be pulling behind him the king that was conquered. Sometimes the king's eyes would be poked out. Sometimes they would cut off his thumbs and his big toes and they would make him walk behind the conquered king and he would make a public spectacle of his defeat. Now while he was doing this, sometimes they would love to throw out gifts to the people in honor of the victory. So they would give out gifts. They would share, and they'd begin to pass out things. So while he was going to this triumphal thing, they'd be giving some of the spoils of the war. I defeated this guy. I took all of his possessions, and because I'm such a generous gift, I'm going to give you some of the spoils of my victory. It wasn't your victory. It was my victory, but I'm going to give you spoils of the victory. This is what he would do. So this verse here talks about Jesus saying, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Here's the picture. I want to give you the imagery of what happened when Jesus died on the cross and was buried and rose from the dead. It's the same imagery of victory. Colossians 2 chapter 15 says this. He says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Disarmed means that you stripped them, you despoiled them, you, you took, that's why some translation says he spoiled principalities and powers. That means you stripped them of all their possessions and all their value. You took it off of them, and then you made a public spectacle. This is what happened when Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. He stripped the kingdoms of darkness of all their possessions. Come on, you got to work with me here. He, he stripped them of all their power and all their possessions. And he made a public spectacle of the enemy, dragging him through as he ascended up out of the pits of hell, made a public spectacle of his triumph over them. And if that wasn't good enough, 
while he ascended, now it's time to share the spoils. He had a victory, and just like the king would share the spoils with the people, Jesus had a victory over the kingdom of darkness. We didn't defeat the kingdom of darkness. Jesus beat the kingdom of darkness. But he said, because I defeated the kingdom of darkness, I'm going to give you some of the spoils of my victory. So here's, you say, well, what, what, what spoils are you talking about? I don't want anything the devil had. Oh, I think you do. I think you do. And here's, what, here's one of the things he had. I'm going to show you in Luke chapter 4. Verse 5, remember you remember this story, it says, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, talking to Jesus, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. All the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Now that word delivered is very important. It means to surrender or yield up. Now let me ask you this. While you're studying your Bible, when did God ever deliver or surrender anything to the devil? Never is the answer. When did Jesus ever deliver or surrender anything to the devil? Never. So how did the kingdoms of the world get delivered or surrendered to the devil? Got to go back to Genesis chapter 3 through Adam and Eve. That all authority and dominion over the earth was given to Adam. So now Adam, in obeying Satan, delivered or surrendered all the kingdoms, the authority of the world over to Satan. This is what happened. But we couldn't get that authority back because we were flawed. But Jesus came as a man born of a woman. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. So Jesus was born of a woman, and Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave, was perfect, never sinned, and he made a public spectacle. So now he defeated the, the kingdom of darkness, took all of those power, all that authority over the kingdoms of the world, and while he did that, he said, I'm not just going to keep this authority for myself, I'm going to share it with the people. <laughs> Here's what he said. But this, this is why you said, when he ascended on high... He led captivities captive, and he gave gifts to men. Remember John 16? It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. What were the gifts that he gave to us? Well, he said, if I don't leave this earth, people, the Holy Spirit can't come. So I'm going to go, and the Holy Spirit's going to come. You're like, well, why can't we just have Jesus? Everybody loves Jesus. Everybody thinks the Holy Spirit's weird. We want Jesus. But Jesus said this. Jesus said, if you love me, you will love the Holy Spirit. Because he comes from the same thing I come from. He's the same, except he comes with an added perk. What's that perk? you got to go to this scripture that it was quoted, uh, Psalm 68, 18. Here's what happens. You read, read the Old Testament version of this scripture. It says, you have ascended on high. You've led captivity captive. You've received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. What was the gift that Jesus shared with us? What's some of the spoils? One of those gifts was the gift of the Holy Spirit. They said that I'm going to ascend, and when I ascend, I'm going to start passing out gifts. And those gifts are the Holy Spirit and the authority that comes with the Holy Spirit. 
This is what he gave to us. So now authority has been given to the believer over all the kingdoms of the world. Not to rule people, not to dominate people. This is spiritual authority, please. So go home to your spouse. I got authority over you in Jesus' name. You try it. See how that works out for you. (laughs) Call me. Tell me. Don't call me. Never mind. Don't call me. (laughs) So it's spiritual authority. Because the spiritual authority had been transferred to Satan. So now we see that these gifts are given. So now the Holy Spirit comes that he may dwell with us. Romans 8 says this, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Jesus defeated the enemy for us and then gave us the spoils of war that were previously not available to us. It's very important for us to understand. New Testament. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection purchased for us privileges and benefits that were not available in the Old Testament to a believer. They were not not available under the Old Covenant. We're part of a new covenant built on better promises, the Bible says. We were not able to receive these gifts. This is why, this is so important, this is why you don't build a doctrine or a theology solely based on the experiences of an Old Testament believer. Because they didn't have the same rights that are available on the other side of the cross. I'm not going to build a theology of what God wants to do in my life solely through the life of Job. I'm not hating on Job. Job was a good man. He was righteous before God. But Job didn't have the authority available to him that's available on the other side of the cross. So I'm going to learn from some things from Job. I'm going to benefit from some writings in there, but I'm always going to run it through the filter of the cross and say, wait a minute, okay, right there, something changed at the cross. I don't have to receive that anymore. we got to do that with anything in the Old Testament. we got to realize something changed when Jesus resurrected from the dead. Authority went from the kingdoms of darkness over into the kingdom of light. And now the believers can tap into the name of Jesus is above every name that is named. And everything can change through faith in his name. That's a lot in a short amount of time I'm giving you. But I'm just telling you, it's just well enough for them. But we got we to run through that filter. So he ascended on high. He gave gifts. Let's go to the next part, verse 9. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he was first descended into the lower parts of the earth, he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. What in the world is he talking about? It says here, now this he ascended. He means that he first descended in the lower parts of the earth. That word lower parts does not mean the earth itself. Lower parts, that means under the earth or beneath the earth or Hades or Sheol. That when Jesus died on the cross and was buried, it wasn't just that he went six feet under. He went further under. He went down and paid the price, went down into the even hell so that we realize that he went low first before he ascended up into heaven. He went low first. Why did he go low first? There's a lot of things we can say, but just for time's sake, I'm going to try and apply it to our natural life. Jesus went as low as he could possibly go. And then he went as high as he could possibly go. Why is that important to you and I? It's important to you and I because it doesn't matter how low we get in our life. I don't care how low you feel, how low your circumstances are, what kind of low situation you get in. You will never go lower than where Jesus has already been and paved a way for you to come up out of it. 
He descended first so he could ascend. And he did that so that when we are descended, we also can ascend through him. That's what he's given us. Let me give you some scriptures to support that. Ephesians 1, 20 through 21 Jesus raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the ages to come. He went down to the lowest part to make a way for us to get up to the highest part. He wants to do that. He understands. No matter how we feel today, God wants you to know that he's been there and he's already ascended. Look what Ephesians 2, 6 says. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So now, he raised us up together, again, spiritually. That's why we got to understand this. Here's what, here, I wrote this down. Sometimes we sit down in the wrong places. Sometimes we sit down in the wrong places. He raised us up. He went to the lowest part. And was raised up and he seated in the highest part. He didn't stay seated in the lowest part. He walked through the lowest part so he could sit in the highest part. (laughs) So now when I'm in him, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he's with me. So if I'm just because I'm walking through a difficult season in my life, I just got to remember not to sit down. You're going to face some tough situations in life. Just don't sit down. Look at your neighbor and say, don't sit down yet. Don't sit down there. Don't sit down there. We only sit down where Jesus sits down. Maybe you sit down in the wrong identity. Some people sit down in the wrong identity. They sit down in the wrong perspective. They sit down in the wrong truth. They sit down in the wrong situation. God says, I want you to walk through that. I only want you to sit down where I am seated. Watch where you're sitting. Watch where you're sitting. Some people are popping a squat in places they should be walking through. I'm not sure that that's proper, but that's just how it came out. Sometimes you got to flow. <laughs> but, I, but I'm serious, and, and I'm not talking at you. I'm talking to me because this week, God was dealing with about an area of my life. He said, Chad, you, you sit down in the wrong spot. As I was reading this, he started showing me, why did you sit down there? Well, because it felt comfortable. He said, that's the problem. You're sitting where it's comfortable sometimes. (laughs) I need 10 more minutes for that point right there because it's what he's showing me. Sometimes we're sitting where it's cozy and we need to get up and walk out of that. And we sit down in heavenly places where God's given you authority over it in Jesus' name. Stop sitting. Don't sit down. So let's go on. Verse 11. And he himself gave some to apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, talking about different giftings in the body of Christ. All these, very important, for the equipping of the saints, for the furnishing, for the preparation of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up or the edifying of the body of Christ. Notice what's happening. We're to equip all of us as saints so that we can do the work of the ministry, that ministry is serving. It's our purpose again. Why are we here? Verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Anybody want to be a perfect man or woman? You say, well, it's impossible, Chad. Well, we just got to understand what that word perfect means. That word perfect means mature, fully furnished, equipped. It doesn't mean without flaw. It means that you've come to a maturity. 
You're growing in it. I've come to a wholeness. So this is our purpose. In verse 13, again, explain. It's not about what you do. It's about who you become. We're trying to go and grow into a perfect church. I say that with the right context. Perfect, we want to grow into the unity of the faith. We want to come into more knowledge of the Son of God so that we can begin to mature and walk in the completeness of what Jesus died to give us. Look at verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro carried about with every kind of wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Let me mention this to you. And this, there's a lot in that verse, but we should no longer be children. It's a picture. The imagery is a boat that's just free out on the waves, being tossed in every different direction. He, look what causes us to be tossed around in every direction in our life. It is the, every wind of doctrine, bad teaching, Bad instructions, also the trickery of men, the deceitful or and cunning craftiness, deceitful plotting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it in a nutshell for you. Here's the strategy of the enemy. The strategy and the the uh, the weaponry of the enemy is to trick and deceive us. Remember, Jesus disarmed him. Do you believe what Colossians 2.15 says, that he disarmed all principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphed over them in it? (laughs) Do we really believe that? If we really believe that, then this is true. Satan has no more power. Let me try over here. If that's true, if Colossians 2.15 is true, then Satan doesn't have any more power. I'm not saying that just so you'll amen me. I'm saying it so you'll hear it. If that's true, then Satan has no power. So how does he beat us? He beats us by deceiving us. The Bible says to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You know what that wiles is? Scheming. The devil is not powerful over the believer, but he is sharp. And he will get us through our thoughts to lay down our authority in an area and we'll accept how we feel instead of what God says. He will whisper in your ear all day, say, this is how you feel. This is your reality. This is how you feel. This is your reality. This is how it really is. Just feel your feelings. Don't you feel awful? Well, that's how it really is. No, no, no. It's even worse than how you feel. Those are his, that's his strategy, that's his scheme. And at that point, our only weapon, because if we go with, you know what, you're right. I do feel cruddy. I do feel awful. You know what, we've now agreed with his definition and our reality becomes what he says it is. Not because he made it that way. We agreed with him, and so his lie became our reality. And the only thing that can beat that reality is the truth of the Word of God that says, wait a minute, feelers, you lie. You lie like a dog. I know I don't feel powerful, but the Bible says I'm powerful. And this is where God spoke to my heart the other day, and he said, Chad... 
Until the power of believing in an area of your life becomes more real than the power of feeling in that area of life, you will keep struggling in that area. I was like, what? i got to write that down. He said, Chad, you know why you struggle? Because you believe you have to. You don't have it in your heart in that area that you can say no and walk away. You've believed, you've believed the lie that you have to struggle. I've already paid for your freedom. So believe it and apply it and stop waiting to feel it. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It helped me. I don't know about you, but I'm still working on it because I still feel things every day. We all do. We feel things. So when we feel things, we got to run them through the filter of what God says. Let's finish. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things. This is tough for men right there. we got to grow up in all things. <laughs> I don't want to grow up in everything. I still want to be a little kid sometimes. But all seriousness, grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. From whom? From whom the whole body. Look at your neighbor and say, this is you. This is you. This is you. From whom the whole body joined and knit together. This is important. This is why we're finishing up this series on this scripture right here. The whole body of Christ is joined. You know what join means? Join means they're organized in the proper place. You're on the right seat on the bus. You're in the right spot. You're in your green. You're in your place where you're going to flourish. You're going to find fulfillment. The whole body joined. They're organized and knit together. Knit together means they're not only organized in the right spot, but they're unified in purpose. Unified together for one common goal. They're knit together by what every joint supplies. What joins us and knits us together? By what every joint supplies. Now, if I would ask, is your joint supplying today? You've got to be careful what crowd you say that in. Not everybody's been saved their whole life. But you got to understand this part. You're a joint in the body of Christ. You're a joint. Every single one of you listening to me this morning, you're a joint. And you know what joins us together, organizes us, and binds us together? When you're doing what God put in your heart to do. We're not going to be held together, and we're not going to be as unified as long as you're not supplying, that word supply means freely and abundantly, no restrictions. I'm just going to give of what God's given me. Freely I've received, freely give. Every joint supplies according to the effective working, the active operative working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying, the building up of itself in love, by which every part does its share. Every part does its share. Every part doing its share. Here's what our dream is for you. What this series was all based on is to help people know who they are and why they are. I want you to find fulfillment in life. I believe God's got a purpose for you. And not only that, that's individual, but Crossroads, I want us to come together for one common purpose, and that's to help other people know who they are and why they are. I want God to impact this region in such a powerful way 
We had First Saturday prayer yesterday, and we just focus on praying for people to have courage in their season of life. So my prayer for us today is to ask you, are you doing your part? And I'm not ask you to define that for yourself. I want you to ask the Lord. So if we would, just bow your heads with me. And I want you to take this moment to ask the Lord, am I doing my share? Every joint supplying. Are you supplying or are you just receiving? It's easy to come to church and just receive. But who's coming to supply? It's easy to go to your workplace and just think about work, but are you supplying your gift? Each one of you have been graced by God to fulfill a purpose.